Welcome to the podcast, the destination for insightful discussions and interviews on the appreciation, conservation, and husbandry of reptiles with a focus on turtles and tortoises. Now, let's join our team of turtle nerds. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, podcast episode 89, y'all. We are here uh, back and bigger and better than ever. Um, my, I'm here with my esteemed colleague and favorite person, uh, Bob, the builder. Just kidding. That's the I had to make fun of the colors you're wearing. That's, uh, that, that's, that's Steve Enders, the brains behind the turtle room. And he is a turtle hero. I want to see if Bob, the builder's colors are actually that. Hold on. Bob yeah. I don't know, man. Um, so like the, this orange hat, like one of the reasons yeah, I grabbed it really. is because because the logo is white, whereas all the other turtle room hats I have, the logo has shades of green in them, which disappear uh, when I'm in front of the green screen, right? Oh. Um, but this is this is the hat I wear when we're out in the field, you know, doing wood turtle right. stuff because, like, it's during fishing season or sometimes during hunting season, right? So it's good to be kind of have something bright on you. And then, uh, you know, if you guys didn't get these Be a Turtle Hero shirts when we ran these earlier this spring, you missed out. Um, I'm going to swing around here. You can kind of swing around back a little bit. Right. Yes. Awesome design by our own Miranda McLeaf. And they're all in bright turtles. Like, you know, like it's a, like it's a road crossing sign or whatever. So, um, you know, I'm busting out the, the gold because again, it shows up in front of the green screen where my bright green one doesn't. So. Got you. I like, I like that idea with the, with the bright colors because then it's, it's different. So many, <coughs> excuse me. So many uh, turtle shirts, including this lovely shirt that I, I love, uh, are uh, are darker color. I have tons of them. Yeah. Now, I don't complain too much because black shirts are a little bit more slimming, but uh, that's a different story. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. So, yeah, so we we do this kind of every summer. We have <coughs> We have an episode, you know, we've done it before with Chris and we've done it before with Kevin here. Uh, Steve and I are probably flying solo. It's possible that Kevin might join us, although he did just call me a few minutes ago and said that he took a muscle relaxer. So I'm really hoping that he goes back, <laughs> but I'm really hoping that he does join us. And if he does, we can all, uh, you know, have some fun with that, but we'll see, we'll see either way. But so we want to have an episode where we just kind of talk about different things we have going on. I think, you know, it's funny, Steve, when I reflect back on our partnership and, and kind of the growth of the turtle room over the years, uh, we've kind of come a long way in terms of uh, the different projects that we have going on, both in situ, but especially ex situ with the, the projects that we have that we're breeding actively. So lots of different things going on, lots of eggs, lots of opportunities to make omelets at my house with all of the infertile eggs. Yeah, that's year. been a theme here too this year. So it makes me feel better when when I know that I'm not the only one out there. But yeah, we'll, we'll reflect on all of that. And <clears throat> I also wanted to mention too that that the last show was we're almost ten years in. So February will be ten full years of doing the podcast. Right? How awesome is that? But uh, yeah. last show was the first one that I've ever missed I've uh, missed. in all yeah. those years. Yeah. So that was a. A tough pill to swallow. I will say, Steve, you did a great job. Like I've heard a ton of feedback about that episode, all positive. I didn't have to do anything, man. Daniel just like 
Isn't that the best? It was awesome. Yeah, great guest. Great guest. There's a couple people. Love like to have him on, tell some stories. Uh, be love to have him on again in the future to tell some, you know, of his other stories as opposed to you know just focusing on that like legal stuff that's kind of right in the front of our minds right now. So it'll be. I, I told him we will have to get him on again so we can like really have some fun. So. Yeah, it's rough too. Like it's you know it's it's a it's it's really negative, right? It's a lot of negative. It's unfortunate because it's something that we care about so much that we're so passionate about, and it's like there's this constant fight. Like if this is what you want to dedicate your life to, you're just going to have this fight forever. It kind of reminds me of, of veterinary medicine where there's so much depression and so much uh, you know these the challenges that just kind of weigh on people. Like you know having to always explain or communicate the value of the services that we provide in veterinary right. medicine. It weighs on people a lot. That's what we say. Oh my gosh, you're you're a doctor. Why are you depressed? It's it's rough. You get into it because you love animals, and then you, in our case, as you know, whether it's hobbyists or people who've dedicated their lives to, to turtles and tortoises, and especially those who care about their preservation in captivity, then you know you have to spend so much time kind of fighting the good fight for what you believe in. So super yeah. important topic, and and I heard nothing but uh, positive things, which was which was lovely. So. So thank you, and, and thanks everyone. Yeah, for, and, and yeah, for sure. We can we can have more episodes like that in the future because I think it was really valuable for a lot of people. No doubt, so, no doubt. Before we get too deep in here, in yeah. the needs, um, couple things we want to highlight for y'all here at the beginning of the episode. Um, first, um, we had a, a mother reach out to us. Her young daughter is uh, having a birthday this month, her seventh. And her daughter, instead of getting gifts, wanted to find a way to support turtles with her birthday. And so um, you can help join in, uh, help Olivia celebrate her seventh birthday. Um, you can donate in her honor today. Follow this link. Uh, we'll run it, you know, on the um, – on the screen some more later uh but head over and over to this link help her meet her goal of uh, 250 dollars donated to the turtle room for her birthday um so how uh, cool is that yeah oh. right and like oh. they were concerned that some of their fan some of their for her friends and family might not have access to facebook so they had reached out like how can we do this not on facebook and so you know we set it up to just do it right on our website um so uh, there's a picture of Olivia there clutching her favorite stuffed animal, which is of course a turtle. Um, so oh. go check that out. It'll break your it'll break your heart, right? And you'll be Seriously. like, open the wallet, open the wallet. So go open your wallet, um, celebrate Olivia's birthday. Uh, you know, uh, throw some money in so she can uh, reach her goal of two hundred fifty dollars donated to the turtle room this month. I love that. Oh my gosh, Olivia, you are the sweetest. I try. I have a seven and a five year old at home. And while we've tried to instill such values in them, I don't know that, that they're ready to do that for their birthdays right now. That's that makes me feel so sad. Uh, but also very proud and excited uh, about Olivia. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Um, then the other big thing, and hopefully you guys saw this on social media not too long ago, is this year we're doing something extra with our calendar. Uh we, we're going to do a photo contest to let one of our lucky followers get their picture in the calendar. First time ever. So um, to find the rules, entry form and more, just head over to the turtleroom.org slash calendar contest. Um, uh, uh, you know, obviously there's a, there's a high standard of what we put into our calendar. So we do have criteria there for, you know, criteria your photo needs to meet. Um 
ideally it isn't something that people have seen on social media, right? We want these to be fresh when people uh, get their calendar in the fall for next year. So uh, get in on our 2023 calendar photo contest, um, turtleroom.org slash calendar contest. Cool. Very cool. And you said lucky, one of our lucky social media followers, but uh, it's not really luck, right? It's, it's, no, it's no, skill. it's not going to be luck. It's going it, to, it, nice no, there's, there's going to be gonna some be voting, but it, it's got, it's got to be, you know, it's got to meet our standards, which are listed on the, you know, at the, the link here. Um, so if it meets those standards, it'll get put out to a vote. Um, and so uh, the submission period runs through the end of this month. So okay. you don't have to like, just submit what you've got. Feel free to go take some new pictures and be like, I'm going to, take pictures just for this uh that's one way to make sure that you haven't accidentally posted it somewhere because we will do some reverse image searches uh because we want to have fresh stuff in our in our calendar so sweet sweet i love it i love it <clears throat> i wanted to add um when we were talking about how i uh how i missed the last show and it's the first one that i missed in the almost 10 years that we've been doing the podcast so it was a really tough pill for me to swallow. I like to think that it was for a good idea. So I want to tell you guys a story and paint a picture for you uh, about where I was. It was it was pretty awesome. So I had to go to LA for work and I flew out. Uh, I guess, I, I mean, well, it was a month ago now, right? We know when the last podcast was. So I actually flew out that day. So I flew out early in the morning on Monday, the day of the podcast. And uh, I remember getting there and I had plans to meet Michael Skibstead. And several of you might know Michael. He's, he's a, young, a, a young man and, and really is a, a, a turtle prodigy. He's someone who kind of burst onto the scene at about age 14 and had spent time uh, over in Madagascar. And uh, he, he had written an article on alligator snapping turtles for the Badiger uh, uh, Journal, which uh, the TTPG puts out, Turtle and Tortoise Preservation Group, and uh, has only continued on, you know, growing and 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 learning and uh, since then. And I mean, at, you know, now 18 years old is basically, you know, the next best thing in in turtle research and, and knowledge and everything. And I, the kid is just amazing. And he has a new podcast. Uh, the, is it still, it's still called the Colonia, Colonia cast. Yep. Colonia cast okay. is sponsored by the turtle room. We, uh, we basically have given, have pro helped provide the, um, you know, the infrastructure they're using and uh, we set up, um, we, we've set up another donation fund for that as well. So, um, uh, so at the end of each calendar year, the Colonia cast hosts, our field programs uh, leadership and our board are going to sit down together, take the money that was raised into the Colonia cast fund, and we're going to pick some student research projects to uh, contribute it to. So, so um, another great way to donate money through the Turtle Room to help support some student research around the world. I love it. Steve, you're like on it, man. You're, you're jumping right in. I love this with, the, with helping me out with things. So, uh, so yes, what he said. And uh, so I'm with Michael and well, I, I should say I land in LA and I'm like dead tired. Cause you know, you get on a flight and you're like, you want to sleep. I'm huge. Right. As Matthew mentioned here in the chat, asking me if there's any leg room on the flight. 
I I was on JetBlue. I got like the bigger seats, but the problem is that other big people get the get the seats that you pay extra to get. So I'm like, yes, I had leg room, but I like I didn't have width room. So I'm like hugging myself the whole time, trying to make sure that I'm not like draped over the person next to me and vice versa. So I get there and I'm like, I'm tired, right? I like I just want to relax. And I and then I put in how much it's going to cost to meet Michael from an Uber, and it was it was not a far ride. And it's LA where gas is like super expensive. So it's like a $300 Uber. I'm like, I cannot do this, right? I can't go meet him. I wanted to meet him. I can't go meet him. And this is the fun part of travel. When you have someone really knowledgeable and kind of in the know in their area and you travel and because of the internet, we have all of these friends all over the place. You can connect to people from that area who can actually show you around. And I've done this many times with with many people, people from, from Germany and things like that, but take Steve out as well to kind of go around and, and see a couple of things. Sometimes it's really amazing and sometimes it's not the best time, but <clears throat> you always get nervous. Am I actually going to show someone a real good time or not? You know? So, uh, I, I went out to, uh, to call, uh, to connect with, with, with Michael. And I, I, I'm, I'm like, I got to cancel. I, I just can't do this. Maybe I had a little time on Friday the end of the week, maybe I could see him then. So against my better judgment, I connected with him anyway, uh, even though I was like dying and I took the Uber out to see him and he met me. And it turned out to be the most eventful couple hours ever. Uh, so I, uh, we, we were able to see a, a South Pacific or Southwestern pond turtle in the wild within like, five minutes and and we saw a bunch of them we were able to watch them i got videos of them like swimming around in the water it was incredible right to actually nice. see california yeah. only native turtle right and a species that i really love that like i actually no doubt well, that's a, a that genus, puts it over the top right yeah and like amazing so a genus that i really love because this is the the you know uh actinemis pallida which is a different a completely different species species now from the species that I keep, the, the Northwestern pond turtle, uh, Actinemys marmorata, but uh, amazing. You know, they're super similar. And and uh, and then the cool thing too was these guys were like orange, like Steve's hat. Like it was so cool to see them. So anyway, that was awesome. Now we're playing with uh, house money. Like I don't care. We're good. I, I feel like the trip is made. I've been in LA for like four and a half minutes and the trip is done. I'm all set. I don't need anything else. And Michael, because he's the sweetest, agrees he's going to drive me back up. I'm not going to have to Uber back up and uh, to L.A. To, to get to my hotel. And he's like, I really want to bring you out to this spot where you can see sea turtles. I'm like, OK, sea turtles. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a pond turtle guy, maybe more of a tortoise guy than sea turtles. But like this sounds pretty cool. It's not something I could see all the time, even though I live on the East Coast where I'm near the near the water. We don't see sea turtles very much up here. So he takes me to this place and we basically have to like break into this area where there's like this whole huge like homeless population that's like behind this like these fences and things. And you're you have this concrete culvert. So if anyone's seen Terminator 2 Judgment Day starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, that in that movie, there's like iconic scene where the T-1000, the bad guy, is chasing Arnold and young John Connor on in a big rig, and, and they're on a motorcycle trying to get away. And they're going through this these 
concrete um, uh, culverts that are really common in the LA area, right? So I'm there, I'm in one of these culverts, right? And like, it's right where, um, it's right on like the, the outskirts of LA County. And we're walking and we're just walking. It reminded me of being out with Kevin Pollack, who was our guest on the podcast, maybe like five episodes ago or something. And when I'm out in the field with him, I realize how out of shape I am. Because these guys who do field stuff all the time just walk and walk like it's not a problem. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to start pushing myself away from the dinner table. But anyway, we get to the end. And I mean, this is like... So it's really dry, but there is like a river of nastiness in the very middle of it. And there's these chunky green, uh, fluffy green collection of of like probably nutrient rich, but also pollution rich nonsense. It's like runoff from people like washing their cars and stuff because, you know, it rains in L.A. like once every two years now. So anyway, this water water is rushing out because apparently the tide is rushing out, and this is like a brackish river at the that that's at the end of this culvert. So you get to the end, and I would never believe this if somebody told me. So you have you have to stick with me on this one, right? There's 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 dozens of juvenile sea turtles swimming in this nasty water, eating that green crap that's coming down from all this runoff. They're swimming around with red-eared sliders. I don't know. Dude, I don't know if it's like this brackish area where like the seawater comes in and this this runoff comes the other way. So I, I don't know if anyone does this, but have you ever had like weird uh, dreams where like you're out in the field and you find a bunch of spotted turtles, but they're all albino or something like just like weird dreams like that that come up? You you hatch you hatch some turtles and they're all out, you know you hatch some four eyed turtles and they're all albino or something like this weird stuff that happens where like you're out in the field and there's you know a sea turtle swimming next to a red ear slider like you don't even it doesn't even make any sense. I could not make sense of this in my brain at all. And we're standing there <clears throat> at the mouth of this nonsense where there's like these little rocks and there's literally sea turtles swimming right there at our feet. And but it's this runoff from this weird, urban, developed human-made yeah. grossness, and and then there's radio sliders. I and they're swimming. Well, aren't there radio right sliders? Among, but... I know, but they're swimming among <laughs> the sea turtles in the salt water. <sighs> Only in LA, right? Thing? Only in LA. I, that's what I said. <laughs> like like this was the most LA experience. Like. Besides having a waiter who is the most attractive man you've ever seen, I don't know if there's a more LA experience, right? I'm just saying. Oh man, I just that's say everyone awesome. in LA, everyone in LA is attractive because they all went out there to be famous, you know. Yeah, Hollywood, baby, Hollywood. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So it was it was a good trip, but but that was definitely the highlight. It was amazing. I couldn't even believe it. So hit us up in the chat if you've ever seen sea turtles swimming around with red ear sliders. That'd be great. <laughs> Just saying. So let's get into it, Steve. Let's let's. Uh, <coughs> oh, sorry, I have allergies. I think it's oh. a combination of weather and then also. Yeah. Um, also, I think the hospital that I work in is just like full of pets and pet dander. And I yeah. think in my old age, I'm developing. Uh, 
uh, allergies I never had before. But anyway, it happens. It happens. Body changes. So yeah, you know I, what, I know. Uh, go ahead. I said I, I you know my my mom developed a, a shellfish allergy at, at age fifty. You know, like wow, that's wild. Yeah. That's um, yeah. a shame if she really likes shellfish. Oh, too. it 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 was it was yeah it was definitely a shame. But yeah, yeah. It's a, I don't like shellfish. Your body? So I would take. To, I would sign yeah. up for that one because then I have. Oh yeah. To stay away from shellfish. Oh man, I, I love crab and shrimp and scallops. Oh scallops. Mm. All right, <laughs> that just happened. Tell me, Steve, what's what uh, what eggs are you most excited about right now? And and that's only a question you could ask on. On a on a animal a weird animal podcast. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. So like, I, if I'm honest, th- this year's been kind of a letdown compared to last year. Um, a lot of infertile eggs. Um, so I've got, I've had one, two, three, four, five, six species lay eggs this year, I think. And I've got, I've got two groups of fertile eggs. Um, so like, you know, pro like there every year there's always something new. I feel like that happens. Um, even if some other things are disappointing. So like, don't get me wrong. It's not like it's all bad, but like there are parts of the year that have been disappointing. The, uh, like the female ringed map turtle that laid all those hot eggs that ended up being hybrids last year, had 13 of those eggs. She's continued to churn out um, eggs, but none of them have been fertile. Which Interesting. Now, positive thing about that, it probably means the hybrid stuff is done, which is a good thing, right? Correct. But she's laid, she's laid four clutches and like nothing has shown any signs of fertility yet. There are three males in there with her. So who knows? Um <clears throat> Interesting. I think interesting. I think she wasn't in as good shape when she got here as she looked because she's had some other things happen that suggest there was underlying issues since then. So like I did remove her from the males last fall and winter to give her some extra space so they wouldn't be nipping at her while things were trying to heal or whatever. Um, so I don't know if that impacted her not being fertilized by those males or not. Um but no ringed maps this year so far. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if she lays one more clutch because then she'd be the same amount of clutches she laid last year. Um, so we'll wait mm. and see. Um, uh, then, you know, we have that big yellow blotch map turtle that was a confiscation that was given to the turtle room from U.S. Fish and Wildlife. Um, and so it spent its first three years in captivity bouncing around a bit. It was in a couple different habitats over at Garden State Tortoise before it came here. And so she um, actually explored the nesting area and, and dug a little bit this year, but ended up depositing her eggs in in the water again uh one of those is fertile though again so um okay we got we got two fertile eggs out of the water for her from her last year um one so far this year but then unexpected with the yellow blotch you know the turtle room has this other group um that we had gotten you know several years ago and one of those females finally reached laying size this year i didn't wasn't necessarily expecting it but i knew it was possible and she's laid um 
two two egg clutches so far, all fertile. Um, and so, wow. uh, one of the, and the, the the one from the first clutch that I incubated for female is probably going to hatch within the next. I'd say probably within the next week. I'd, I'd need to check check just how many days it's been, but I'd probably say within the next week if I had to guess. And um, the others are doing well. So, but it's it's really cool. Like, so the cool part about that for me is this is the first map turtle that like the whole process has happened here. Like I thought it did with the ringed map last year, but they turned out to be hybrids from a breeding that happened before she was here. But this is the first one that's reached breeding size here and laid fertile eggs that were fertilized here. Um, Because my Texas map turtles are still laying eggs, but the males still aren't getting the job done. Um, That said, one of the males is only two years old. So, you know, weren't super hopeful for that, you know, this year, maybe next year when it's three, who knows? Um, But, uh, but yeah, so that was, that's a really cool thing is we've gotten, you know, two, two egg clutches from this female or first time laying um, ever. Um, So that's cool. And uh, then, you know, something that I know you get a kick out of all the time is, you know, when you get these two egg spangleri clutches, right? They, they lay one egg at a time so often. And, and like with their small size, like you even wonder how they're going to lay two eggs anyway. Right. And so those yeah, eggs look really totally. good. And so like, I'm really excited it's about those two eggs. <clears throat> a species yeah. that lays one egg that lay two. It's, I mean, come on, it's double the size of a normal clutch. Mm-hmm. It's a huge bonus. Right. It is. And the, the, like, of course the, the one, the one thing that's always amazing to me, incubating both Spangleri and, and map turtles at the same time is just how differently they develop, particularly when it comes to speed, right? We're frequently incubating Spangleri eggs for like 100, 110, sometimes even 120 days, right? And these female map turtle eggs will be under 60 days. So like, I feel like I can, I can candle a, a map turtle egg like every few days and it looks bigger and different. And the Spangleri is just like, are you doing anything? But you know it is, right? Because they just they just had this slow slow ramp up. Now, right. um, you know, we can flip it right back to you there. You know, so not only have we gotten some nice two egg Spangleri clutches at the turtle room this year, yeah. we've gotten yeah three three <laughs> egg clutches from three Which different just, females. Insane, insane. Yeah, a three egg clutch. I mean, there was there was a social media post a couple months ago where somebody was like. Someone got a three-egg clutch, and then a bunch of people were like, I didn't even know that could happen. Uh, yeah. Right? Three-egg clutches are rare. Three-egg clutches are rare, but uh, to get to, yeah, to get them from multiple females is pretty cool. But we actually had what I, to my knowledge, is the record size clutch, on rec- which, which was a four-egg clutch last year. Uh, but, but they were all infertile. This year, there's three from that female, all infertile. So this young female has now laid two clutches and a total of seven eggs. Which is crazy because it's a species that lays one egg at a time, generally. Sometimes two yeah. for really large, for larger specimens or larger older specimens. So, yeah, it's pretty crazy. You know, something you said that resonated with me, Steve, is is the year to year, right? You you find yourself. It's such a. It's so. First of all, it's so seasonal. So even species that are off a little bit, like like spider tortoise season hasn't even started here yet. I expect eggs maybe this month by the end of the month. Uh, and then they'll be hatching, you know, over the winter right. and, and yeah. Um, but uh, and then like, you know, Pelusius nanus and that sort of thing uh, haven't started yet, although I should not have those this year because I'm babysitting them for a friend 
and they're going to go back to that friend. But, you know, there are certain things that are seasonal. Some stuff lays early yeah. in the spring. Some stuff waits till the fall uh, to get going. Uh, but it, but you find yourself looking forward to the next season, right? Like, like yeah. I hatched this this year. I have to hatch it next year. You put that pressure on yourself. But then you also put this pressure on yourself that, ooh, maybe this is the year for X, Y, Z. Or I got eggs, and next year I'm going to get fertile eggs. And then the year after that, now I want to hatch that fertile egg because sometimes you get closer and closer without actually, you know, crossing that bridge. Um, I think what I have to remind myself is that it's okay if you don't hit on everything every season, right? If you don't hit on everything at yeah. the time. And that's something <clears throat> that's really important and, and that I don't always keep in mind. I, I don't, I'm not always able to be successful in that area personally. So I think, um, you know, hearing you say that, that, you know, it's some things are, are better and noteworthy and exciting and other things are not is, is really uh, helpful. You know, one thing I didn't tell you, Steve, is one of those three egg clutches actually did produce a fertile egg, which is great because it was her first yes. time a young female. Nice. But that's a Guangdong female, the large Spangler eye that get really right. large. So that's a really exciting one um, for us. Uh, so yeah, there's pluses. You know, I, my my third actinemies Pacific Pond female is gravid. Right now I have two clutches already from two different females, which is great because that's not an overly fecund species either, meaning that they don't really, they're not really prolific. They don't produce a lot of eggs. Uh, they actually will sometimes skip a year and not lay at all. Uh, the the okay. biggest female who's really healthy and really pretty and had eggs the first year I had her, uh, the last two years anyway, she hasn't produced any eggs. So I'm hoping next year, but again, it's two years now without eggs. Yeah. Maybe we should expect no eggs next year, but I'm going to just put that pressure on myself and just really be bummed about it if, if no eggs come. So uh, Galbinifrons yeah. are a good example too, the flower back box turtles. Uh, I got my first eggs from them ever this year from a female that I've been raising since 2015. Nice. And uh, yeah, so it's just really exciting, but we do this thing too where we get the eggs and we're so excited and we like tell our friends and then a friend will reach out to me like a month later like hey were those eggs fertile and I'm like oh crap sorry i didn't tell you i just went into like severe clinical depression after i realized that they were infertile and didn't tell you <laughs> yeah. so yeah um it's it's cool you know the, the you know the, the back and forth or whatever uh, let me take this time you know while we we're reflecting on kind of how things are going here like Please, if you have questions or there are species you want us to talk about, stuff like that. I think, you know, between Steve and I, we keep quite a few species. Some of them, some of I mean, the species yeah. he and I keep, he and I both keep. So as I'm here, you know, yeah. trying to to turn my place into Garden State, uh, Connecticut, Garden State Tortoise, Connecticut chapter, uh, you know, there's, there's lots of different stuff that we're working with. So if you have any questions yeah. about any species or anything, we'd love to talk about something specific. Yeah. yeah. You know, the one thing I didn't mention, another first for this year, um, one of those Beals females that I've raised laid her first egg, infertile, but she laid her first egg in the water, which is, I find every single cicale I've had, their first egg comes in the water. Um, I've cool. most times if they've laid in the water, they haven't been fertile, although I've haven't hatched a couple that I pulled out of the water. But I actually think that female laid them on land and then kicked them into the water accidentally because she's not the most 
Um, she doesn't have great fine motor skills for covering her nests. Oh, classic. <laughs> classic. Right? You know, like, both, both of the Beals eggs that <laughs> I got this year were – she held one, first of all. She dropped them both on the surface – but she held them. And the second one, I had no idea how long it was there because I hadn't checked her in a couple of days. Yeah. And they're both developing. But nice. Uh, yeah. It's Good. Just, but it's weird. She always laid them well. For some reason, yeah. this year she didn't like the, the laying you, area. I think I think it was too dry. The sand was like yeah. dusty. And, you know, it wasn't yeah. like nice, compact, that like it had been wetted recently. Yeah. I need to I need to wet my, my cicalia sand a little bit more often. Like I'm in the habit of doing it with the map turtles because they need it wet to lay. Um, yeah. And like I can tell when they're going to lay too. The map turtles are pretty easy to predict. They start wandering around, you know. You're palpating um, turtles now, right? Sometimes, yeah, if um, like there are some that I, I've been able to, you know, feel reliably um, with the Spangleria. I can't even get my pinkies in because Mango's not, you know, it's just not very big. Uh, but I can always tell when she's carrying, you know, just her, yeah. her, her, the back of her body, you know, just a little more robust and eventually she slows down eating which you know you've experienced it's pretty common for spangari yep. to just like like oh, i've seen her like sh i gave her worms and she rejected worms and i was like she gonna lay soon like her favorite food <laughs> and she's not eating it and you're like you know she's gonna lay like normally yeah. worm is like you know like and for to, to turn down a worm yeah, you know something's up. I love it. Right. Like, and, then, and then she I laid two eggs, right? So yeah, I gave her like yeah. four worms the next morning or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> like her biggest meal know, ever. It does correlate <clears throat> to the amount of eggs they have too. The more eggs they have, the less likely they are to eat. And the and the earlier yeah. they go off of, off of feed as well. Right? Yeah, the, definitely. Yeah, yeah this was the first time she's completely turned down worms. Her other single eggs from last year, she'd eat a worm, but pretty much nothing else. But this <laughs> was like, this was definitely like unique, different than what I've experienced with her before. And then she ended up laying two eggs. So um, I get with, really excited. I'm like, say it ain't so. Come on. It's really yeah. happening. I didn't even know. But I palpate my animals so much that. I, I usually have a good idea of who's gravid when. Yeah. I, I keep a running list. I have a big whiteboard in my in my turtle okay, interesting. In my basement. And I, I keep track of who's gravid when. So I palpate a lot of species I palpate once a week. So like the flavos oh, interesting. Outside, flavos eat each other's eggs. So if, Right. And I know those I've you have to be on top of. Before. Yeah. Like like a flavo goes to lay you miss the nest here in, in Connecticut, you're they're dying in the ground because the season you know, unless they lay, it's a really early nest. You're not going right. to find ground hatches here, so you have to you have to kind of you know be on your toes a little bit with that. So I go out once a week and palpate all of them, and uh, it's pretty easy as long as they come out of their shell. They won't crunch your fingers like uh, like North American box turtles. Yeah, and uh, I I have a running list, and and I have usually usually through late June into early July. I have a running list of about 18 females of various species that I know are gravid at any given time that I'm that yeah. keeping my eye on. This is fun. It's like what I always wanted. At the same time, it's a lot of work. And yeah. I don't know how long I can keep this up forever, but uh, – yeah, yeah it's, I it's, don't it's I don't really palpate that I, yeah, I don't palpate that frequently, although like I, I made sure to do it earlier in the year this year. Um, especially with some of the turtles that like I was expecting to have eggs. Um, partly just 
so I can get a little bit better at it. But um, I, like, especially with the map turtles, I like I definitely try to give them periods where they're getting disturbed less often because, you know, map turtles can be kind of skittish basking and going up to nest if they're not like completely entranced into the laying their final eggs process they might you might scare them off so like so this there this time of year especially if somebody's been up and down like i'll check cameras before i go into the room so i don't scare anybody off but like so even for like doing turtle chores and whatever i try to do it like first thing in the morning and then if i'm going to do like an extended stuff like you know i've still needed to do filter maintenance and some other things like i try not i i try to if i if i do that a day i try to like not do anything the next day so that like that whole day is kind of like free for them to just like do their normal basking routine and stuff just because you know map turtles can be kind of that way so I want to, you know, I don't know if we've ever really gotten into this a little bit, but I'd like to do it if, if you don't mind. Can we just talk about palpation for a second? Like, yeah. Uh, this is something that I've been preaching to you about for a long time. You're like, I don't really know. I can't really feel it. This was a, you know, a few years ago. Like, I don't yeah, really yeah. Know. I'm not really comfortable. I don't know. And and I've gotten to the point where like I'm totally like a creep about it. Like every one of my female turtles knows that I'm coming to like totally violate them to see if they have eggs. But, but um, it's it, when I first went to uh, Dr. McCord's place, you know, he, he asked me and he's, he's asked me other times since then too, like, like, how are you at palpating? And I, at the beginning, I'm like, Oh, I don't really know. I'm, I'm a great palpator. I'm obsessed with palpation. It's it's like my favorite thing to do because to be able to know that those eggs are coming, I think is such a, uh, a, a a valuable tool you know and yeah um, what's interesting though I, I think a lot of people don't realize is you can palpate some pretty small turtles even if you're a bigger person like hey yeah. 50 pounds over here but i've i have those um mini musk turtles that i actually can palpate i mean these are adult females that are gravid with one egg because that's a big thing too when you're palpating if it's a species that carries one egg it can be a That's lot tough. difficult to palpate. Yeah. yeah, because you want to, the eggs pooch out on the sides when it's a species that carries a lot of eggs. So like like Pacific pond turtles are small, but they carry smaller right. eggs. Like a Blanding's turtle carries a lot of small eggs. A lot of North American species do. Diamondback terrapins do. I mean, comparative to their size, so do like right. red bellies. Mount turtles don't. Turtles, a As lot a general of, rule. Okay. But a like lot of North American three, four eggs. Yeah. yeah, right, right. Uh, but even still, that's better than, you know, a lot of the yeah. Asian species. Like, you know, I, like I've got the Philippine Ambo, Amboinensis. The, yeah. the, the Big turtle, like one egg at a time. One egg. And it's like crazy. But I could still palpate them because their egg is really big. But uh, one egg does make it difficult because if it's right in the middle and you can't get into – I'm like doing the – Right. <laughs> if yeah. you can't get in too far, then then you might not feel it. Uh, right. So for a species that carries a lot of eggs, it's usually pretty easy as long as it's not like a North American box turtle yeah. that's going to totally crunch your fingers. Uh, and, and what I do with a lot of those species is I'll pull them from the group uh, and I have maternity ward enclosures. And I develop these for right. the flavos because they eat each other's yeah. eggs. So if a flavo's gravid, I pull them in, I put them into a, a tub with shallow water, and I just let them sit there and I feed them pellets while they're there if they'll eat. I also feed them right after a female lays. It's like the celebratory dinner. She gets to eat a ton of pellets before she goes back outside. 
and and I give them cuddle bone and stuff like that, so they're getting some calcium. But uh, they they won't lay general. I've never had one lay in the shallow water, uh, and and sometimes I might have you know like only two of these maternity ward setups available for that species, but six females that are gravid. So I'll keep palpating them and you can feel when they get ready to lay their eggs, the eggs actually move back in the body to the posterior part of the shell. And they're actually sitting there near the cloaca getting ready to, to come out so that you can palpate a, a turtle for five weeks as she continues to hold those eggs. And then you can feel them actually travel down when time starts to get near. And then that's a turtle that you want to move into the maternity ward when the time comes. Right. So uh, it's it's proven really valuable for me. Any turtle that any flavo that I've palpated that's had eggs this year has laid the eggs. So yeah, uh, that's been pretty good. Uh, what else did I want to say about that? Oh, species is really important. There are some species where it's really easy to to get fingers in front of the back legs to be able to palpate for eggs, but their skin is really taut. So yeah, or um, yeah, it's, it's like it's just tight, like a it's either tight like or that. it's like, thick. Yeah, you can't too. you can't push through it. It's not some species just have this spongy skin where you feel like you could touch your fingers together. Yeah, it's 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 so loose and and like a diamondback terrapin skin is very loose and soft. Uh, species like matamatas, um, I've palpated matamatas many times, and the skin is just very very tight and doesn't move yeah uh actually interestingly moremis are easy to palpate as long as they get their back legs out of their shell but uh moremis anamensis the vietnamese pond turtle their skin is a lot tighter and they're a lot they're the toughest moremis in my opinion to palpate which is yeah. just an interesting thing so yeah so, yeah I normally, it's, it's uh, a really cool do thing. the bounce you ever do the bounce right oh yeah yeah, I kind of I do like I find a side that to side wiggle to see okay, if I can yeah. get an egg to move down, like you know, with with the weight or whatever. But yeah, yeah, I try I, to get the legs out, so get both helpful. fingers in, and then do just like, especially with the bat turtles. If you can get a bounce, you can kind of feel the move a little bit, which sometimes is help, yeah. helpful if they're carrying them kind of high. But like I use behavior, right? <laughs> and like sure, that's that's my biggest thing is like. I can tell they're going to lay when their behavior changes. And one of the other things that I've found very interesting, the turtles I have that have dug nests, um, they basically do it in the same spot every single time in my, in, in the nesting box, which, which is crazy and awesome at the same time. Right. Um, in fact, mango, you know, in her habitat, all three of her clutches the last two years have been laid in the exact same spot. Um, the ringed map turtle has now laid nine clutches over the last two years. They're probably all within a couple inches of each other in the nesting area. Um, the Texas map turtle, even though they, none of them have been fertile, right? All, all three or four clutches in the same spot. Um, the new yellow blotch map turtle, both clutches this year, basically in the same spot. Um, <clears throat> but behavior is, is something I use. Um, the ringed map turtle, when she starts getting up on land to wander around, she's probably going to lay within 24 to 36 hours. Mm-hmm. Like, so and, and, right? and, and I can even tell you which four hours of the day she's probably going to lay in as well. Um, the, um, the, the Texas map takes a lot more trips up and down. Um, before she lays but the ringed map turtle um especially the second third fourth clutch of a year 
she might take one trip up head back into the water and I'm like oh she'll probably lay it again today sure enough like like she lays um in fact her most recent clutch the the lamp the heat lamp over the nesting area burnt out right she had so she ended up taking more trips up than she usually does because she couldn't find a hot enough spot so like I had ordered stuff and so like literally as soon as they came uh, the next day, cause she still made a couple trips up. It was still not hot enough cause the light bulb wasn't here yet. The light bulb came at like 1230. I went, I screwed one of them in. Uh, and then like two hours later, she, she laid a nest <laughs> and, Isn't that awesome? and, she, I love it. and she's fast 30 minutes. Wow. That's and, and that's one thing and, when we did the work with the diamondbacks with, with the Leonis, like, those girls come up and they're all business. Like they don't want to stay out in the sun. They're like done in like 12 minutes. Like what just yeah. happened? So like the, the 30 minute, the 30 minutes that I track with her basically is from when she left the water to when she goes back into the water. It's like no time at all. Like if you think about what it takes to excavate a hole, like six inches, seven inches down, right. And cover it all back up. Not to mention, you know, positioning three, four eggs in it, like half hour is like just lickety split you know it's even less time of course if you don't count the the travel time right but the travel time is what i know i can catch on the camera right so that's kind of the time i pay attention to unless somebody else is coming up and down when by the time they she gets that whole part even partially dug like the part of their body that's outside of the nesting cavity is moving so little the camera doesn't pick up the motion to trigger it right so it's her going up and splashing back in that i catch on the camera and so like 30 32 35 minutes is pretty much tops for her leaving to re-entry it's crazy that really is crazy that, that is i I've, i have females where gosh i come back four hours later and they're still in the same spot staring at me i'm like gee are you thinking right. about it you're not really sure i, I thought there yeah. was this whole trance thing and once you got far enough it was going to happen what the heck's going on but uh yeah another thing that happens with me too i have one i have one enclosure it's a waterland that has like some Maremi's hybrids in it. And for whatever reason this year, everyone decided to get gravid at the same time. So the benefit of palpation is that I know who's gravid when, and I can see right. like there's, okay, there's all seven. So I have a, a, a tub that's only females. And I saw like at one point this year, all seven were gravid at the same time. Normally <clears throat> I'm not really like, you know, specific or particular about getting everything you know, uh, as it, as it is, is, you know, deposited in, in the soil, so to speak. But, but, uh, with that, I want to, because with seven gravid females yeah. in the waterland, they can dig up each other's nests trying to lay their eggs. So I do right. actually check to make sure once a day. Yeah. So it's a lot. Yeah. Of that's, that's, um, you know, that's, um, was part of my concern with the yellow blotch when that second one started laying is she and the big girl were both making trips up on land and I was like I don't want one of them to lay and the other one to just break them or whatever you know while they're trying to dig um, and like I think a third one might hit egg laying size next year as well so like definitely going to have to kind of keep on top of them so they're not like digging up each other's nests because um, you know there's a 
inside, right, we can only provide heat over, you know, so much of the nesting area, right? You kind of have a sweet spot where the heat lamp shines, but unless you want to, you know, run the electric bill of doubling up your, your heat, you know, right, there's going to be one spot. And so, like, it'll be interesting when I have more than one laying using the nesting box, like how close together that, it, like, if it's, there's a sweet spot temperature wise or what exactly they're looking for. So that's something that'll be interesting to watch over time as well. That's really cool. Uh, what are you really hopeful for, for next year? Um, you know, um, I'd love, I'd love, my hope for several years now has been fertile Texas map eggs, right? I have that female that'll, that I raised from a hatchling that has been laying cl clutches for like three or four years now. And the male just hasn't fertilized. And, you know, Texas maps are, are notorious for needing competition, you know, more than one male to make something happen. So like, I've got, I've got a, I've got one that's definitely like a, a mature, uh, you know, adult male. Then I've got this two year old that's in there now. Um, and then I've got another one that's one year old. And so like within the next couple of years, I'll, I'll basically have three adult males, but you know, that's kind of something I'm hopeful for. Um, I have, you know, I don't have any fertile cicalia this year, which is the first time in, you know, in several years. So it'd be, uh, it'd be cool to get some new bloodlines of that going. There's the three females, only one's ever laid fertile eggs. Um, the young girl keeps laying infertile ones in the water. I'm not sure what she needs to let the male fertilize her. And then there's that old female that, you know, is course the scale the, the quads are basically combined pro most of them are a combined project right there's that old female we co-own that she still hasn't produced anything since she's been here um hopeful for that uh, and uh, you know of course hopeful that uh, i get some pure ringed mat babies too like i thought that that might happen this year but you know maybe we're in a transition year next year will be the year that that happens so yeah. um but like, I think literally at any point, I could all of a sudden have one, two, three, four, five, six. I can have like seven species, like just like this. I could end up with the year with seven species laying fertile eggs. And it's probably going to happen at some point. It's just a matter of when, right? Like. I definitely have mature females in that many species. It's just a matter of when they're going to all start, you know, producing fertile eggs. So, yeah, I get that. I, I have to remind myself that actually there are certain ones that I sleep on that I don't really like. You can't count your chickens before they hatch. Certainly can't do that with turtles either because they're tougher <laughs> to hatch than chickens. Uh, and then like you, you, I don't know. There's this, I'm always surprised like when the eggs actually come from those females you've been raising up, like, I used to find yeah. myself like putting putting a lot of pressure on myself where I'm like, oh, this could be the year. This could be the year for spider yeah. tortoises. This could be the year for galbanifrons. This could be now I'm saying like next year could be the year for McCordai. Like there's always something that's that's on the come up, but but sometimes it takes a lot longer than you would expect. Like the galbanifrons that laid this right. year, she's been adult size for like four years. So there are some species that, you know, start laying once they really reach maturity. And then there are other ones that just really yeah. like to keep you on your toes a little bit more. Spider tortoises are like that too. Like 
they didn't lay early, but then all of a sudden, right. you know, they just decided they were going to start. So, yeah, well, like, and the, like, there's turtles that do the exact opposite, like mango. Like, we were both like, oh, she's probably approaching breeding size age, and then all of a sudden we get two eggs from her last year, and we're like, oh, great! Like, you yeah. know, she was uh, last year was two thousand one. She was seven years old, right? Like, all of a sudden, you know, fertile. That's pretty old. She, yeah, the, the, she never the, even laid a fertile an infertile egg before that, you know. Yeah, that's what's crazy. Once she started, she really started. But the the the, the youngest that I've had a spangler eye lay is uh, was before their fourth birthday, so they were still technically yeah. three years old, which is crazy. Why am crazy I quick? Yeah, them? but yeah, but when the female is is adult right. size, yeah, and like that yellow blotch, the, the new laying new layer this year, like I wasn't expecting that. I was like, oh, she's around five hundred grams now. Oh, she's probably getting there. And then all of a sudden, I get you know two nests from her, you know. Hey, <laughs> right, Not infertile, right? No infertile eggs. That's like so weird. So it's just it's tough to quantify I, I, sometimes. It is like I have you know because because I, I have that Texas map that's never laid a fertile egg, you know, and 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 a lot of I feel like a lot of animals that I've had lay lay infertile stuff before they start laying fertile stuff, right? Um, but but mango, the Spangleri, and then this uh, this yellow blotch kind of just flipped that on its head over the last two years, um, you know. That's Who can strange. tell, right? Yeah. Of course, what's what's really fun is you know sometimes with uh, with map turtles you'll get these little like um, jelly belly sized random eggs in there too. Um, I've gotten a few of those over the last couple of years. Of course, they don't do anything, but you incubate them anyway and hope you hatch a one gram turtle. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally true. What's funny is that I you know like the little the little uh, musk turtles, the mini musk turtles. Actually, like lay yeah. eggs that size, and yeah, and then you yeah. see like you know a Reeves produce one like that, and it's like oh my gosh, it looks just like a you know a little <laughs> Everglades three stripe egg or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's really cool. <clears throat> so I'm I'm going with a sim method uh, for some some eggs this year. I saw that. I saw I, that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I love it. Um, yeah it takes some getting I've used to some... it's a mental shift right like it's 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 i think it's really natural to be like i i need dirt right they lay them in dirt they lay them on dirt why do i not have dirt like <clears throat> you know it's funny because kevin who was on kevin pollock he's had a lot of success he had he hatched a, a mahuti egg a jag a jagged shelled or or serrated box turtle egg yeah uh, with uh, on top of aquarium gravel with water down below, mm. just like sitting on top. So yeah. basically like Sim, <clears throat> his best looking Spangler eye egg this year is being incubated that way as well. Interesting. But with the Sim, the thing I don't like about the Sim situation is they're not made for turtle eggs and they have these really oblong spaces for eggs. They don't and, nestle very well. And for a guy who loves Asian turtles, like yours truly, a lot of them lay really big eggs and I yeah. haven't seen a sim container that has spots big enough. If anyone yeah, has oh, any, uh, knows any, please, please share. But any that I bought are either small or yeah. really small in terms of the space for the eggs. Right. So. Yeah. The one, um, the, the one 
quad egg I did get this year. Infertile, but it, it was huge. It was the biggest egg she's ever laid. And um, like I, I was trying to pull it up here. Um, like it's not huge in its weight, but compared to the size of every other egg that I've gotten, it was just like this mammoth thing. Hmm. Huge. Um, it, you know, the, the compared to the one Beals egg that that one female laid that was infertile, it was like one and a half to one and three quarters times the size of that egg. And it was just like, man, that thing's big. It's interesting. I have a, and, a, I have a small Ambo, like, like 400 grams lay an egg that's it's like the size of a meatloaf it's like where the heck did this thing come from it's a massive right. yeah. chunker of an egg well, it's not even long it's like fat i don't know yeah well the the two eggs the two eggs mango laid in that single clutch had as much weight and volume combined as the two eggs that one yellow blotch map turtle laid right and the yellow blotch map turtle is literally two and a half times the the size of mango Weight wise, like <laughs> so the, Is that all? the so five hundred grams. It's probably more more than that. Five uh, two and a half times mango is probably yeah. It's probably closer to three times mango's weight. In fact, like so when you compare egg volume to turtle volume, what mango produced was was like 20 percent of her body weight went towards an egg. Yeah, that's that's an interesting thing to think about too. Like you take like a snapping turtle or these large Aldabra and Galapagos tortoises, although their eggs are very big, they're so big. So by comparison, these hatchlings that are produced are are so small compared to the adult size. And then you take something like a Spangler eye and and that hatchling is, it's tiny, but compared to the adult, it doesn't have a lot of growing to do. Especially if it's it's a species that, that grows fast. Uh, yeah, know, with, with certain care. Like I have a the nanus that I the the African. I always like to say that the common names that people know. The African dwarf mud turtle Pelusius nanus that I hatched last year is it's like adult size already, and it's it's. I don't even know how old it is. Eight months, uh, and it it could go and and live with the adults, and you might not even pick it out right away because it's like almost adult size, which is just crazy. But these little guys can grow kind of fast so yeah so i just i just pulled it up that quad egg was almost five centimeters long and two and a half wide like that's crazy it's like a the, torpedo yeah it, yeah it was it was it, i was i was surprised by how big it was for sure yeah, it's weird too that's an that's an interesting thing too size and shape of eggs right so uh, the Pacific pond turtle clutches I got this year. One was from the female who produced viable offspring last year. Right. And the other is from a, from a new younger girl who who's a juvenile sub-adult and now is just coming into adulthood and, and laid her first clutch. And uh, the, the female who produced last year laid these really nice round eggs, bigger eggs than last year, less of them. Last year she laid seven, this year only five. But uh, nice, big, perfect-looking eggs. Like, as soon as I saw them, I'm like, oh, yeah, we're in business. This is happening. She's, she's doing it. The other female laid four eggs, and compare, they look like little javelins. They're, like, super long and skinny and, and like, come almost <laughs> to, like, a point on the end. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm like, 
Oh, great. Well, these aren't fertile, right? It's her first time. There's no way. So I'm going, you know, I wipe the eggs off just so I can put an X on them and write like A dot M dot yeah. species name. And, and then I write the date on the bottom and I'm literally just holding an egg in my hands and it breaks in my fingers just, and it wasn't broken. I, I smashed the egg in my fingers, holding it, going to write an X on it. I've done this a thousand times and it's nothing like that's ever happened. And I wasn't holding it hard. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize like I was barely holding it. So like these eggs, all signs point to these eggs being the most infertile mess of a clutch ever, but it's great, a great sign that she's laying, right? So I take the three remaining eggs and I put them into the vermiculite and I just put them there and I, and actually my stepfather was visiting and I'm like, oh, cool, a female just laid. And I was telling him like, as my hands covered in yolk, this, you know, these eggs aren't going to be fertile. Well, guess what? The next morning they start banding. Like, you've got to be kidding me. So there's these oh. weird shaped oblong javelin eggs that are banding, which is awesome. Uh, I never would have, I never would have guessed it, but now it makes me feel bad about the probably yeah. that I crushed in my hands. And I still wonder if they can, like, will it produce viable hatchlings to these weird shaped eggs? I don't know. But normally infertile right. eggs are, are a weird shape, uh, not, not yeah. usually, but oftentimes when you see those really weird shaped eggs. Um, Especially for a first-time layer, then that's you know that's going to be an infertile egg. So, yeah, you know I'm surprised. A lot of times people tell us they want to get in these husbandry talks, and I'm not seeing anything in the chat. Any questions? No, no, no questions. It's crazy. What's Apparently they're just they're just soaking it they're, all in right now. They're mesmer. They're just mesmerized by the amount of nonsense that's coming from our mouths apparently and i just realized something broke in our database in um in june at some point so now i gotta figure out what went Talk wrong so i can fix species. it tell me what a cooler species is and i will definitely filling ponds and listening thanks chris i like that you like my hair too i don't know what cooler species is you have to tell me what a cooler species is and I'll talk about it. I mean, unless it's one that we don't keep, but. Oh, Central American wood turtles. I don't know about those being cooler than what we're talking oh, about, cool. but. Oh, they are cool. <laughs> well, yeah, right. Oh, Jordan, I couldn't tell. Oh, Jordan. Turtles, man. We could talk about Florida box turtles. Florida. I have a Florida box turtle named Florida Man. That's the cool, that's the cool <laughs> turtle reference. Yeah. Chris, nice. Send some Florida boxies my way. I'm deciding that I'm I'm gonna keep those. So really like I can them. send you one, maybe. Oh yeah? I love Yeah, them. I still have I, think I still have one from that Chris Leckowitz sent up last year. It's they uh, do a lot of uh, a lot of hiding, but I feel, you know, I, I they make me happy because I feel like they do you know, they do turtle things. They don't want me to see them and they hide. I mean, they they have a star pattern on them. Like, what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to find some grass and, and make a living out of it. I don't know. So, yeah. <coughs> Diamondback Terrapins. We talked about Diamondback Terrapins on this show just now. A lot of times. Saying. Yeah. We, did, right? we mentioned them today, though, too. We did. That's what I'm saying. How fast they lay. Oh, somebody from... I was very impressed. Somebody who I work with at, at the uh, at the animal hospital 
saw a diamondback terrapin nesting and she sent me the picture and she's like, check out this diamondback terrapin. I'm like, oh my gosh, who are you? This is amazing. She was very proud of herself that she knew what a diamondback terrapin was and as was I. A lot of people up here don't really know when they see one, but they, they do. Yeah. They are, you know, seen quite often, uh, observed quite often because everybody go, flocks to the shoreline this time of year. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, Viv, that would be fun to incubate those. Um, What's incubating? Uh, she's not going to probably no? she's probably not going to not going to. I can I'll tell you in the private chat. Ooh, interesting. Got my interest. Definitely. But um, that would be a cool species to talk about. But um, uh, someone said that they palpated their Hermans and can't feel a thing. That's that's because it's a tortoise. Tortoises are I've, I've really never tough. palpated a tortoise um, uh, effectively before. Tortoises, like I said, I said, Matamatas and, and uh, Vietnamese pond turtles. And there might be some other aquatic species that are really difficult. North American box turtles because they'll crunch your fingers, but um, also tortoises are just, their skin is way too tight back there. And unless it's a tortoise that's carrying a ton of eggs and, and really wants to be palpated, most tortoises also just want to crunch your knuckles too. With, with yeah. When they pull their legs in, it really hurts your fingers too. Yeah. So it's not easy, not for tortoises. There are some species though where it's really easy. Yeah, you know, it, the thing I had, like, uh, the thing I feel with my map turtles sometimes is just how thick the skin is as well. Like, mm -hmm. compared to some other species, it's just like, feels like it's just dense and it's hard to push in. Mm. Yeah, uh, Jordan's saying he's definitely palpated box turtles and, and uh, gophers, which is really cool. Lots of finger as, damage. You know, some, somebody who's in Connecticut, that's like the coolest to hear that. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, like you can definitely palpate those North American box turtles. It's just once you get your finger caught in one and you're standing there thinking, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. <laughs> that's when you realize, you know what? I really don't need to know if this turtle has eggs right now. I'll just try to see if uh, if if they end up laying. I'll just I'll, I'll come out three times a night to check, see if anyone's laying as opposed to pulling a gravid female because I don't want her to pull my finger off because that's what it feels like is going to happen when they grab you. So, yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah. But for all you diamondback nerds out there, that is probably the easiest turtle to palpate. And even if we, they're not um, grounded, you can put your fingers in there and feel all the extra fat that your captive diamondback terrapin has pooching around the back legs. Yeah, not the same of, one in particular, but, you know, they just they love to get yeah. fat. Yeah, so actually one of the things that we started doing um, with wood turtles this year is when we get a female, we start palpating it for eggs. Um, so that's something the, 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 the working group wants now is – you know, is it rabbit or not? So we, you know, palpate for eggs. Of course, um, you know, we depending on which, uh, what, uh, you know, which survey, especially the earlier ones in both the fall and the spring, we end up with more males. And so, like, we were out there and we, you know, some of our other volunteers were like, you know, what's the best way to palpate turtles? So I was actually using a male to demonstrate on because it's the turtle we had. <laughs> and it's like, nope, no, no, no eggs. <laughs> yeah, well, that's... Male turtles it, like it, attention. 
Well, the the male wood turtles, man, like a lot of them are super engaging and like I could like yeah. I could get away with doing almost anything to them. Like uh, they'll let right. me pull their legs out and get my fingers in there. The females fight a lot more. So, yeah, that's really funny. <laughs> but uh, they're hey, strong. Thanks for waking up in the chat over here, guys. I appreciate it. I yeah. Everybody was asleep. Viv says she's got a, a moldy, a moldy egg. Makes me sad. I'm sorry. Yeah, I've had I've had that this year, mainly with those ringed map eggs. They're the ones that have been moldy this year. So you can sometimes wipe them off if they're good eggs, but usually they don't mold. They haven't, right? Yeah, I've never had a good egg mold for the most part. Like mm -hmm. all of my eggs that are molded are just like anyway. So um, one of the things that I have, Viv is saying she holds the back legs for palpation of, of box turtles, which. Which yeah. is definitely a good a good tool. Uh, they legs can't so pinch you as well that way. They can just not as not as far. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They it's just true. can't close as far with the legs out. So, right. I mean, I don't have small hands, but for my size, my hands are my fingers are kind of kind of teeny. But and I have the exact opposite I mean, problem. I have like sausage fingers. So uh, I wasn't gonna say it, but. <laughs> this is fun i have fun with this always 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 yeah you know what i should i should teach lisa how to palpate so she can palpate mango with her little tiny hands (laughs) Uh, what substrate substrate yeah yeah, I assume you're talking for incubation. So, um, you know, that varies um, depending on species, depending on what we're trying to get to work. Um, you know, there are like with Spenglary, we started with what a third, a third of peat moss, a third vermiculite, and a third of perlite. No, just those no. two and then sphagnum on top. That's right. Those so two are on top. Right. Eventually, you went away. Right. Eventually, you went away from that. Um, I'm using something similar and that's worked. Like I'm using uh, half vermiculite, half perlite by volume, and then I use damp sphagnum on top. Um, and that's so the the egg that hatched last year and the two this year. That's what I've done. The other one last year, I tried leaving uncovered uh since that was something you were working on at the time and that one didn't do as well Mm -hmm. it started developing and then stopped so i've come to a Um, realization i'm happy to tell you this because i've been thinking about it a lot yeah i started to really play around with incubation a lot and i've had bad years i've had like five six years in a row that are that are worse than i would hope and before that i um i had a lot of success so here's what i think i think that the container matters. And I know if I'm listening to this right now, I'm like, yeah. The incubator uh, matters too. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I think I think what changes with the air. So like how fast yeah. is the substrate drying out because there's too much ventilation in the incubation container or the area where it's being incubated is too dry and it kind of zaps the... the or I've or had even... Some, I've had some turtles <laughs> kind of hatching out that are... That, that you can see like a big air bubble before they hatch in the egg. It's not full yeah. of hatchling and and yolk. It's full and and, and fluids is full of air. Uh, and they, they have a hard time hatching out. I think they stick to the eggshell at a certain point. 
So I think having an incubation container that maybe has one air hole and is closed tight and doesn't like your incubation. So what I would do is every two weeks, I would pull them out and add water. I don't think if you have the right incubation container with a lot of these species, especially the ones I'm incubating, uh, I'm not talking about tortoises. I'm talking about like Spangler eye and, and some of these yeah. journals and stuff. I think if you have, I bought these new <coughs> containers that have one air hole in the middle. They're meant to like microwave food. And I close them tight and I weigh the container three weeks later and it hasn't lost a gram or maybe it lost yeah. just one gram. Whereas in years past, I would just grab any old container. Oh, this should do. But it's got six holes in the top because it was used to ship a turtle at one point. Right. That matters. And Or if you don't, right. you know, has no air holes and you don't put the top all the way down, but it's kind of resting on top of the moss and there's there's a, right. a crack at the top so airflow can get through. Well, like that matters, I think. If you're not burying the eggs and they're sitting there at the surface exposed, I, yeah. think, I think that that really messes with, uh, so, with the egg development. Right. So um, I'm going to, you know, tie that into something else I was going to say and connect right into Viv's question right there. Um, yeah. So like the incubator itself, I'm not saying that from a perspective of you need to get yourself a fancy incubator, but what you do in one incubator that has a certain type of it isn't the isn't necessarily going to work to maintain moisture in a different incubator. Um like I have two very different incubators. One of them now the egg the egg the the container I put the eggs in and the substrate and the moss all looks basically the same between my two incubators. But there's something very different that happens between those two incubators. In one of the incubators, I don't worry about the moisture at all. And in the other one, I check it every couple days. I, I, you know, check the moisture of the sphagnum that's on top and spray it down if necessary. Because it's a drier incubator as a whole. It doesn't keep water in it as well. So I need to make sure I'm on top of maintaining that, right? And so um, when I first started using that incubator last year, I first started – I first started not putting stuff on top of the eggs and I realized they were drying out. So I'm like, a lot of people incubate their map turtle eggs without moss or anything on top of them. Right. But I use sphagnum moss and, you know, put it, I don't actually cover them. I basically kind of lay it next to them in between the, like the eggs and then keep them, keep it moist throughout the incubation process. Like probably with those containers, probably like once a week, I, I'm actually spraying it. I, I open them every day for oxygen exchange, but like once a week, I'm basically spraying down the, um, the sphagnum there to keep it damp. And then obviously with Spangleri, every other day I'm putting that container on the scale and adding moisture to both the bottom and the sphagnum every other day because I incubate them out in the open air because of the low temperatures right. they need. Uh, but so I have to be really on top of, of keeping the moisture at the right amount. That's the part. And then the other thing too is just, just like when you have a bowl of cereal and the milk isn't touching the top before you start to eat it, the cereal down at the bottom gets more gets more saturation than the yeah. stuff that's sitting up at the top. Even though it was all wet when you poured the milk in, it's still not, you know, um, right. there's still a gradient there. And, and that's what happens with our eggs is these eggs, we have them sit on the top, half right. at least half exposed most of the time 
to, to so, the air. It's funny. There's there's a rehabber here in Connecticut who once in a while will incubate eggs from you know from from road mortality. Yeah, and right. She was burying the eggs under the substrate because that's what the females do. Yeah. And she's like, oh my gosh, she saw pictures. She's like you leave the eggs exposed. Why? And I'm like, well, I don't really know why. It just works. It's just what people do. You can see, I mean, you could see the individual eggs. If one starts to rot right. early on, you can remove it. So it doesn't affect yeah. a good egg that's next to it. <coughs> yeah. That all makes so, sense. You could see each individual egg. But but yeah, it's funny though. We, but we have to think about that, that these eggs are in a in, in wet soil, moist soil under leaves. Yeah. And they're not sitting out exposed, sitting on vermiculite, which can really dry out a lot. Right, so. it can. Like, and so like... Um, so, oh, and so there's Ziv uh, Hovabater. Um, so, like, that's the one that I have to make sure the, the moss on top me, is moist. Me um, yeah, me too. So, like, the Hovabaters and the Reptivators pull, the, pull dry. The, the moisture right, right. out. Yeah. I, it's the funny thing is I don't notice an issue in the vermiculite itself as much. But, like, because the egg isn't covered, like, the egg loses moisture itself, even if the vermiculite doesn't entirely lose the moisture itself. The egg just isn't protected enough for the dryness of a hovabater. And, like, it's got, like, yeah, it's got that water tray and stuff, but it's, like, if you think about the heating element in a hovabater, it's, like, very much like a dry air type heating. It's almost like a, like, it's a coil heater. It's not... You know, it's not like my ghetto baiter, which I'm literally using a water heater in water as my heating element. I don't need to right. worry about moisture there at all. Right. And like um, Chris Lekowitz uh, recently shifted from he was using uh, the Zoomed Reptibators, I think. And, and like you said, they can be kind of drier and stuff. And so he shifted, he bought some of those nice sea serpents incubators this year that I'm also planning on buying because they maintain temperature better all the way up and down, but they also maintain humidity so much better. And so he's been having to back off the moisture he puts into the container because it ends mm-hmm. up being too much because it, they retain all of that moisture mm-hmm. because it's such a good quality incubator that's sealed up to not lose temperature or, or, or moisture. You can't put as much in to begin with because it's not going to lose it. Right, right. That's super and interesting. So like, it's just funny. So, so that's the thing when people ask, <coughs> how do I incubate this? Well, you know, what's your incubator like? What's the right. room like? What's the, And even the, the different type of vermiculite you could use. If you have a coarse vermiculite versus a very fine vermiculite, it's night yeah. and day in terms of the way that that'll retain moisture throughout the incubation. Oh, process. for sure. So, yeah, for sure. Like... So I come, you know, I come from a music background, like my undergraduate degrees are in music. And so like if you think about like a saxophone or a clarinet, right? And uh, Oh, I'm, I'm liking this. I want to see where so this is going. When you go to create your tone that comes out of the instrument, yeah, the instrument plays a role. But the shape of your your embouchure, the, your 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 oral cavity plays a role. But then the mouthpiece, the reed, and the ligature. The ligature is the thing that holds the reed to the mouthpiece. Those all play an impact in the tone quality, right? And so. When you're trying to get the tone you want, you've got like five, six different variables that are playing into that. And we've got the same thing going on here. Like what works for Anthony and his Hovabater in Connecticut isn't going to work for somebody's – 
lab quality incubator with even the same species in another area of the country. It's just not going to work the same, right? Yeah. You even even for Viv, with her ovibator might be different than me with mine. Yeah, like it's, right. Well, it's, it's a different. It's, it's the a room, different, the water, the yeah. vermiculite, everything. Everything. Right, like so that's the problem wonder, when somebody says, "How do you do this?" Yeah, like yeah. you you take the information for what's worked for other people, but also with a grain of salt, in that what worked for them may need to be tweaked for you. And it right, can't totally, work exactly the same way. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's the that's the most fun part about what we do is it's it's rare. Hatching turtles is rare. It's not something that everyone does or can do, especially some of the species we're talking about that are really rarely hatched. It's that's the fun is like the detective yeah. work that you need to do to figure it out. You know, what's going to work for me? I read the literature that's out there. Maybe even one day after I find success, I add to the literature that's out there. Like, that's what it's all about. Right. That's the. Uh, yeah, that's that's the that's living the American dream. I mean, you know, as long as everyone doesn't take our rights. Right. Away, so. Yeah. Like and so there's Viviana. She used to play clarinet and she's like, I used to use number four reeds. Well, so here's the other catch, too. Like with that analogy, the brand of the reed, a four in one brand is not the same thickness or same shape as a four in another brand either. So like like there are like jeans. Yeah, so like, just like yeah, you mentioned jeans. coarse vermiculite versus fine vermiculite, like there are just so many, like not all perlite's the same either. Like, and the, the so here's another thing too, is when you go get yourself verlite or, ver, or perlite or vermiculite or something like that, make sure you're not getting something that's got miracle Grow or some other like fertilizer in it for plants. Like it's really easy to find that kind of stuff. It's kind of got that weaved into it. Don't use that for turtles because that adds stuff that can help make other crap grow in your eggs. And like, you don't want to be encouraging mold growth or whatever because you've got like this extra phosphorus or, or what nitrate or whatever going on in your, in your substrate. You know, that reminds me something. Can I just say something? If there are any horticulturists or anyone out there who knows, I bought a bag of vermiculite off of Amazon and it's, it's coarse vermiculite. First time I ever had coarse vermiculite. I love it. Like, seems like it, <clears throat> it feels very wet with the same amount of moisture I put in other things. Yeah. However, this bag, when I got it, smelled like, like potpourri like like a like a florist shop like like flowers so oh, interesting like, but really strong almost in like a chemically way and it's worn off since i got it i wondered if they added some perfume to it to make people like the product more i'm just wondering if anyone's had experience with this because I've, I've googled it i've googled i've used it for a few species that like i thought the eggs weren't fertile just to see the first couple containers the eggs really smelled really floral in this wet interesting but now the vermiculite isn't smelling like it as much i was just wondering if anyone's experienced that at all with any weird floral smelling vermiculite it smelled strong yeah. like i don't like perfume so i pick up on it pretty quickly but i mean it was it was it smelled like the cleaning aisle at the grocery store like it was not right uh, my favorite smell yeah oh and i'm gonna throw out some uh some quick um things out there for folks um so like things out there so for those of you that use hatch right like it, it's kind of expensive right it's basically perlite give or take right so it's like really coarse perlite go get yourself some perlite you know like i think there's one of them that's basic one of the brand name you know incubation beddings is basically coarse vermiculite right go look for the coarse vermiculite just like just like light bulbs or anything else 
you know, the stuff that's branded specifically for your reptile is going to get marked up a bit. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. So, like, if there's something you are looking for, you know, you might be able to find a, a you know, a, a, a called off-brand kind of thing. I went to a yard sale a couple weeks ago with my kids. They, first of all, funniest thing ever is bring some young kids to a yard sale and watch them just think all of a sudden that our family's rich because they could just buy whatever they want. But uh, <laughs> some guy was selling some guy was selling old light bulbs like that you can't buy anymore, old incandescent light bulbs like for your house that are not energy efficient. I was so excited, like this is amazing. I'm like buy all these light bulbs. Because they just don't make them like they used to. They're so energy efficient now. I used to like, you know, have a UVB bulb that is like not a heat producing bulb, like a mercury vapor that has bulbs. Uh, and then supplement that with like a regular house bulb that's going to provide that that basking spot or that egg laying area. It's going to warm up the substrate a little bit, the surface of the substrate. So it's nice to find eggs that actually, you know give away yeah. uh, a little a, give off a little bit of heat oh we just yeah. had a thing come through that that i've received 100 messages today with re, restream chat so thank you viviana for doing that so just saying yeah lots of messages after the chat woke up and it's all, now it's 825 and we're, we're basically nearing in nearing the end of our our time already, which yeah. is crazy. We've had fun. Um, I, I I do miss you out there, Kevin and Chris, wherever you are. Um, yeah, Kevin's Kevin watching half in the bag. But, uh, Kevin, yeah. Next time Kevin's with us, we uh we uh, we should get an Aldabra update for sure. Yeah, uh, which reminds point. me, how many of you how many of you saw the um the news that this small zoo in Switzerland ended up hatching an, uh, an albino, alda uh, albino Galapagos, right? Like I so cool. I saw, it. I saw it. Um, yeah, that was, that was really cool. Um, Jordan, um, I, the plan was that I would, but I don't think, uh, with, Travel cost is a bit higher than it was three years ago. And however much I love Tucson uh, and getting out to the conference, the increased travel cost just is going to push it out of my my price range. Um, and I've got some – so one of the things I didn't get to talk about really at all is I'm going to actually be adding some extra turtle space here at the house. And that project is going to start not long after the conference. So, like, basically, it's either, like, extend my budget that I normally spend on the trip to go or maybe I just take that and put it into the turtle habitats right after that gets done. And um, because I, it's also possible that I may need to, like, finish getting stuff ready for the for the contractors to come in and get to work in our basement. So, like, it's going to – it's going to be a tight fit. There might be less than a week between the end of the conference and that starting. And like, if they're ready to go early, I want to be ready to go as well. So, um, so I, I would like to get there, but uh, I won't be there. Um, a couple of our folks will be there still. Not many though. This might be the smallest turtle room turnout since my first year there. Um, but Miranda McLeaf, our right. assistant. Yeah. Miranda McLeaf, our assistant director of field programs, um, 
uh, is probably is going to be there. Um, and Michael Skibstead, who, uh, you know, is the lead host for Colonia cast and is one of our staff writers and, uh, assistance some social media stuff etc he'll be there still at least um so there'll be at least a little bit of turtle room oh and scott hendrickson and kim will be there i'm expecting so there'll be a you know a few turtle room people um but not as many as years past uh the plan is to get back there next year though so and just for anyone who's watching who doesn't know the tsa is the turtle survival alliance not the people who frisk you at the airport. <clears throat> right. Well, and so here's something I'm going to throw out something most people don't know is we call it the TSA conference, but that's not actually its name. And while the TSA is one of the key sponsors of the event, um, it's a good point. The, the tortoise and freshwater turtle specialist group also is a big part of making sure that that conference happens. And uh, if you don't know what the, TFTSG is go back a couple episodes to uh, May and when we had Craig Stanford on and you can learn a whole lot more about uh, what the TFTSG does in addition to helping uh, make that conference happen. Uh, so there, I just plugged in another episode. Sweet. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Go back, listen to the old episodes, watch the old episodes. Now, that. before you go, and I, I've run these along the bottom ticker a couple times. Before you go, just a couple reminders. Again, um, calendar photo contest. Uh, head over to the turtleroom.org slash calendar contest to find the rules entry form and more. Um, go take some pictures of wild turtles or your captive turtles and uh, submit them. You will have a chance to get your photo in our calendar. And, oh, the lucky winner will also, of course, get a calendar for free that includes their picture as well as a couple other prizes. And I love it. It's And um, we also mentioned uh, this birthday fundraiser help. Uh, Olivia celebrate her seventh birthday. She um, set a goal of $250 of donations to the Turtle Room in honor of her birthday. So head over to the turtleroom.org slash donations slash Olivia's seventh birthday and uh, open up your wallet a little bit. You love the podcast. You love the turtle room. And, and let, let's be honest. You want to make this this seven-year-old girl's day by contributing to her donation campaign. So That's so <clears throat> sweet. Like to me, that's the that, – to me, that's the biggest pitch is like – like here's a little girl who's trying to be a turtle hero and like you can be a turtle hero too and and help help her out help encourage her to continue being a turtle hero as she continues to grow so uh, make a difference for olivia and i just so everyone knows too like the turtle room has institute projects in uh in the u.s africa we're working on some vietnam some stuff in, in in asia and and i think a lot of times sometimes the public perception is here's some guys talking about keeping turtles like the turtles i keep for the vast majority of them are just like my turtles although i'm part of the turtle room we use them for education and stuff that, that the turtle room does and we're working on you know making certain pieces of this more official than they are but like funding does not go to like Anthony being able to keep his turtles. Those, those are my, does that make sense? I just want to make sure that people know that because I think sometimes the lines get blurred a little bit with, with yeah, some of that for stuff. Sure. And, and we're working hard to kind of <clears throat> define all of that. And we have been, it's, it's kind of a long road, but I, I just want you to know that like this, these small nonprofits are where 
and and you know I include the the Turtle Survival Alliance in that even like we're obviously much smaller than them, but I I, I don't mean to say we're better because we're small. I just mean small nonprofits like this are the ones where like the money really goes to the institute work that makes a difference to the educational work, uh, uh, informational work to kind of get people understanding, getting them over stigmas and stuff like that. Like that really important work that goes towards making a real difference as opposed to like paying for staff. We're all 100% volunteer run. And again, that money's not just coming back. So like, you know, Anthony can, can hatch another turtle. Like that's not, that's not how this works. Just so everybody knows out there. Yep. Yeah. Everything from educational materials on the website to wood turtles in Pennsylvania, Dimeback Terrapins in New Jersey, uh, Kinexus in Africa. Um, yep. We help. Uh, so our um, we provide uh, software um, to that same organization in Africa for all of their captive stuff. Um, Spangleri and Galbinifrons in Vietnam. Um, these are all just various different ways that your money kind of makes a difference out in turtle and tortoise conservation and research. And research is a huge part of conservation. We can't conserve unless we learn more about these animals. So that's what's um, missing from a lot of these, pro these, these situations right. that we don't know. There's a lot of species that might be in a lot of trouble. You look at the IUCN and it says needs more information. Well, guess what that means? Research needs to be done before we can even start to save the species. That's how far right. off we are yeah. from saving a lot of these turtle species that haven't been you know, looked at since 1996 or 2000 or whatever year. So, yeah, it's, uh, um, so yeah. yeah. And, you know, we've got other things that we are working on developing and, you know, they're eventually going to need, need funding. And, um, we like to try, like, we don't try to make them too public cause you know, we want to make sure nobody else steals our thunder either, but, uh, you know, <laughs> Before they're you, official. Can, yeah. you can also trust that like, there's other projects that we're going to, that we've got kind of, you know, in the shoot to, um, you know, kind of make a difference in education, conservation, research, sometimes combining all of those things together in one. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, there we, go. we got on our soapbox there, but I think it was a we good did. time. For I it. liked it. I liked it. It's, this is the time to do it. Like, it's just you and I. We don't have a guest who we need to, you know, get great information from. It's just us. So this was a lot of fun with you, Steve. I appreciate it. Oh, you. no doubt, my friend. Always, always love the time when we get to do this kind of thing and just uh, catch up while we're also on air. It's it's a good, fun time. Yeah. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you. Appreciate everyone who, for tuning in. Uh, we'll be we'll be with you. We're, we are doing next month, right? I know we've skipped uh, August. Right. The, plan the past, and, right. the plan is actually... As of right now, the plan is to do uh, the second Monday in August instead of the first Monday. Um, we might have something special for you. It's uh, I'm, it's still in the works, um, but at the very if you know, tune in on August fifteenth uh, if you're not attending the conference, and uh, even if you are, our show comes on right as it'll come on right as that first day of talks is ending, four p.m. Arizona time, right? Uh, so, uh, since it's going to be in Tucson. So see you on um, not August 15th, August 8th. Sorry, August 8th. Not August 1st, August 8th. Okay, we're going to do August 8th. Cool. August 8th, yeah. Got the date wrong there, but August 8th, second Tuesday in August. 
And probably in September because the first Monday, second, second Monday, we're going to be a lot of second Mondays here, July, August, September, 4th of July, kicked us back a week. The conference is kicking us back a week. Um, and uh, Labor Day is going to kick us back Labor a week Day. too, probably. So second Monday is kind of our, our rhythm here, at least probably until we get to October is my guess. So sweet, sweet. Thanks, guys. Take it easy. Appreciate y'all. All right. Let's roll it out, brother.